Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean DeBias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Paul Jacobson to the Reboot Chronicles. Paul is the CEO of Thorn Health Tech, a rapidly growing NASDAQ-listed company that provides people with personalized approaches to health and wellness. One of my favorite topics, as you know. As a science-driven company targeting consumers, athletes, health professionals, and organizations, Thorne utilizes artificial intelligence to deliver personalized, proactive, and actionable solutions for people like us who want to improve their health and live healthier, longer lives. Sign me up for that, by the way. Sounds good. They were an early, early uh, natural supplement provider. Thorne, since then, has gone through a bunch of reboots, some of them very smart, over the decades. And uh, we're going to unpack that with Paul today. So, uh, Paul, it's great to see you. It was nice seeing you, Dean. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. I, um, you know, we love talking about companies that have been, re- I mean, you guys have been around since the eighties, right? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the it was founded, company, uh, yeah. founded in, uh, in Idaho. Uh, and, um, yeah. I, uh, I had been on the board of a public biotech company and, uh, was, one of the was the co-chair when it was going through its IPO, and uh, my co-chair uh, had been the former CEO of Sanofi, and um, I was always giving him a hard time about the side effects of some of the drugs, and um, right. he challenged me to start a natural product company, and I started, uh, spent three years doing research, and um, came upon Thorne mostly for on the recommendation of some private equity firms that have been trying to buy the company, which had sales about $20 million back then. And um, I spent uh, a couple of years uh, trying to buy the company. And finally, at the end of uh, 2010, we were successful in doing it. So the company really had been, it, it was a great little niche, but it hadn't been growing. Right. And then you came in and uh, thankfully, um, so, you know, you've gone through some crazy reboots. I mean, you started out mostly direct to practitioner. Then you have right. you had a merger involved, which seemed to have worked out well. And then you added DTC, direct to consumer, for those of you that aren't into that stuff and all kinds of business models. And then my favorite thing, you threw in an IPO just, just for fun. Um, so tell, tell us about your journey. Just uh, try to give us a little personal view of, uh, that's a lot in uh, less than, a well, whatever, around a decade. Yep. So we, you're right. We, we started off uh, selling directly to practitioners. Um, most of those practitioners were what they call functional medicine doctors. So most of them were naturopaths and non-medical doctors, uh, as you typically see, non-MDs. Um, so we began by trying to take on the challenge of moving the company into the medical doctor space because that's where most of the patients reside. And in order to do that, you need the science and the data behind what you're selling uh, for a medical doctor to get involved. I actually chose the Mayo Clinic as uh, the ideal partner because we knew they'd be the toughest and um, the most skeptical. It's a good place to start. And and, um, began uh, by getting to know uh, one of the doctors um, at Mayo who had uh, a very progressive approach to wellness and thought that uh, preventive health was going to be important in the future. 
And he said, he asked me, how patient are you? And I said, why? And he said, because it, to get in here, it's going to take you several years if everything goes right. right. And, um, and basically that's what we did. And so we, we've grown our medical doctor business uh, aggressively um, and then made the decision to um, move into the direct-to-consumer side of things. Uh, that came at great risk because there were a number of physicians who did not want us to do it. Um, but we made the decision it was going to be critical to our growth. Absolutely. And having run companies you know, like AutoWeb and others, public companies that were both DTC and you have the B2B site, it's like you're running two different companies. That, that's the other risk. And not to get too geeky here, but you know, from an operations point of view, uh, you know, not for the faint of heart, so to speak. Yeah, we took a lot of criticism for it, but it turned out to be one of the best moves we've ever made. Our consumer business is now uh, about half of our total business. Um, and it, it's actually made us much better at technology, mm -hmm. uh, which now the doctors are, are very thankful for. So they don't have to maintain inventory um, and uh, they can rely on our technology to help grow their business as well. And uh, doctors are great for our overall business because about 60 percent of our customers in a survey said they first heard about us through their physician. So they're a great uh, customer acquisition cost-lowering machine for us. I know a lot of brands that wish they could say that, especially ones that are in supplements, direct to so they have no channel there. Um, so before we kind of dig into your business model and you know the platform and partners and all that, can you just, those listening are probably going, what is it that he's selling? So uh, you do both devices and supplements, and can you just give everybody a quick grounding of what you're actually yeah. marketing? So what we're trying to do is build a company that maintains the scientific rigor uh, in the natural space that you would typically see in biotech or pharma. So we're, we're more like a natural biotech company that's profitable and growing <laughs> with revenue. Yeah, we just, we just um, had the CEO without, of Genentech without, on. So, uh, without, uh, without the risk profile. Exactly. Um, right. We also don't have the same upside as Genentech. Well, yeah, but their um, twenty-year horizon, the, the, the long-term investments that they do are crazy. Right. I hope yours are a little shorter-term payoffs. But you <laughs> seem to have a very long-term patient view. Otherwise, you wouldn't be yeah. where you are right now. Yeah. So um, we we then um, decided that making the greatest supplements in the world, which is what we try to do mm. through our own manufacturing platform, um, was not enough, and we saw that. Uh, in order to lead in preventive health or what we call scientific wellness, um, we would need to provide more and more data. And we built an AI and machine learning team. Uh, we did it outside with some very famous computer scientists and, uh, and regular scientists. Mm -hmm. And we started a company called Longevity. And uh, that it was designed to do blood and microbiome testing and analytics and personalized solutions for people. Um, after we were successful in building it and saw that we could commercialize it, Thorne acquired it. So that was really the merger that you were referring to was between Thorne and Longevity. It's kind of an, in, of kind of an inside combination. Yeah. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah. And then, um, so we tend to try to start things ourselves. And if they look like they're going to work, um, we bring them in, in house. And, um, and so we, we brought that together, and effectively what we're doing is we're making the products, but we, we be, take the customer on a journey, which starts with a test, mm -hmm. um, which could be a blood test, a microbiome test, et cetera. We tend to focus on testing that is uh, more complicated, where we can't be copied as easily. 
and we tend to focus on the consumer UX. So we, we offer a complicated test, we deliver the information, we educate the consumer what it means, we offer a supplement diet and diet and exercise solution if needed. Mm-hmm. If, if it's not needed, we don't offer the product. And then we use that platform and what we learn to make better and better products along the way. And then we noticed that the consumer user experience was going to be difficult. Um, right now, most blood is collected either through a venipuncture draw or through a finger stick. Neither of them are particularly, they have, they have their downside. Yeah. So we acquired a company <clears throat> called Drawbridge Health uh, that collects blood uh, from a device that's painless. It's been through a major clinical trial to prove its efficacy and accuracy. Uh, the blood is collected painlessly. The cartridge is removed, and you can put it in the post without putting it in cold chain and sent to the independent lab. Really? The other, that, that, and then the other, big, huge the other big challenge we had was, um, was microbiome testing, which is uh, uh, a fecal sample. Mm-hmm. It's probably the worst user experience uh, that you can imagine if you're going invent, <laughs> to invent a product. Yeah. And then uh, a bunch of our scientists went out and got drunk and, and decided that they had to change the user experience. So they came up with a microbiome wipe and we, uh, we invented it, patented it, and have now launched it, um, which completely changes the consumer UX for, uh, for microbiome testing. So all of these things are used to personalize information and then the products that we sell. I love your approach. I mean, to me, the two most important things are the most amazing users, whatever we used to call it UX experiences. and but this whole user experience thing is not the first item on the list, especially with med tech kind of companies. It's becoming that more and more. We started an incubator in Chicago called Matter that really focuses a lot on UX, but you also came up with things that made you competitively differentiable in the market because there's no shortage of people coming after this space now. And third, the, the DTC thing, everyone was saying it was such a bad idea back then. People are tripping over themselves to get into it now, and you've got a foothold there. I usually don't give out compliments like this, but you've, you've got all the right components, it seems. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we made the right moves. Um, Early. But I will yeah. also tell you that, that uh, once you hit a certain scale, um, the direct-to-consumer market has different challenges, and I would say that um, you know this is if there's one thing that makes me nervous, it's trying to figure out how to achieve bigger and bigger scale uh, in a way that um, doesn't copy what everybody else is doing. Because exactly, there's some level of revenue that seems to be very difficult for companies to exceed profitably. Yeah. And most of the DTC guys uh, in in health, beauty and wellness are they're getting to a certain level and then they're getting bought out by Unilever or someone else. So they're they're not worried about the long, uh, you know, the long game. And you you are there's there's definitely some tricks there. We've actually talked about some of that on the podcast before, but probably for another day. I uh, haven't run a couple of public companies myself and taken them out. what was that like for you? And what, do, you, do you, is it something that's helping you now? Or uh, sometimes I like to be a private company for as long as possible. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. So it's an interesting question. I get asked all the time, do you think you did the right thing? Because our stock price, even though our financials are awesome, yeah, um, very the stock price solid. is not reflecting. It. Um, it usually doesn't. So, so um, I think part of the problem when you go public uh without comps. So there are no public company comps. So the analysts don't really understand us. And we get a mixture of analysts that uh, 
have never covered a company like ours. So that's one of the challenges. I would say that we made the right move in two respects, and I, I would highly recommend it uh, to anybody. We didn't need the cash, but we put it to good use mm-hmm. and uh, when we went public. And so we got it at a time I was very bearish on the stock market. And I think having done it while the market was still good was a smart move for us financially. Um, it's a pain in the neck being public, but I think it was the right move financially at, at the time. The other thing it's done is uh, it's given companies, big companies who are now looking at us for partnerships and other business opportunities um, are comfortable that they can pick up, a, uh, they can go on the internet and look us up in, in a way that that makes them comfortable. They can see our financials. So I would say that part of it, helps, the transparency yeah. aspect of it is really good. Um, and then there are negatives to it as well. Yeah, like your competitors short, being short able to see everything. The, <laughs> yeah, short-termism, but other than that, it's fine. Short-termism and uh, yeah, competitive exposure, I always say. I mean, most of the comps, those are comparables, so people can kind of estimate what you're worth. Those of you that don't, uh, are into that stuff are, are private. You know, there's companies like Femtech that was on recently. It's done a, a, just a bunch of roll-ups who've been acquiring companies like crazy, but just focus on women's health. In a deep sort of way, you know, others like testing, like Viome, and others like Better Health, which is more comprehensive, and uh, some kind of weaving into uh, partnerships here. So many of them are doing um, pretty integrated partnerships with, you know, insurers, providers, companies. Um, you've done a bunch of partnerships. Um, so before we kind of jump into what's next, maybe just tell us a little bit about, for instance. Uh, something I wouldn't have thought of is, you know, you've got into esports, which, uh, but before that, you were in hardcore athletes who really need good scientific proven regimens and, and personalized um, um, alternative, you know, medicines and things. So that you started the hard stuff first, and now it seems like that's helping you move into things like uh, esports, which is really more gamers. Yeah. So um, we've done a number of partnerships that, for reasons that are <laughs> people, Say, why the hell did you do that? They're they're not <laughs> obvious. So, you know, the first one um, we did was with the UFC, and people were saying, "Well, why would a company in preventive health want to get involved in with the UFC?" Of course, um, the medical team at UFC is extremely uh, open about concussion yep. and deeply concerned about it, right. and so we're able to work with them uh, on the concussion front uh, to um, do some really good work. And you're going to see soon that we'll be launching a product. Uh, for the prevention and treatment of concussion based on what we've learned together with them and with Mayo Clinic. That's amazing. Um, the uh, the reason we, we did eSports um, yeah. had some had some similarities to other things we've done. You, it came to us through a combination of people here at Thorne that knew Team Liquid, but also um, there was a connection between one of our medical people in the sports side and the medical person at Team Liquid. So there are people, these people are very serious about cognitive health. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, this is an area that is of, it's a deep concern to us for our future. It's an area that we think we can add a lot of value. And we, we, we really wanted to do this partnership because we think we're going to be able to do some clinical trial work with them on cognitive health. And the esports uh, business um, is, you know, a multi-billion dollar business. They're all kind of, uh, lack of a better word, jacked up on Red Bull, most of them. Uh, younger audience, but they're, they're, they're like dehydrated. So this is probably a good, ne- I mean, some people would laugh at that and say, it's like, no, that's what most people do in their offices all day. They're sitting 
there. And so I, I see a lot of parallel into uh, organizational partnerships, whether it's a corporation or the institutions or, or whatever. And esports itself is almost the extreme case. Yeah, and they're very serious about their uh, their approach to uh, to gaming as a sport. So it's great. I mean, they're they're great. It's a great target group for us. What um, when you look at some of these uh, partnerships, without giving away your secrets, but whatever you've done publicly, it's just what what's like the secret sauce business model. What's the most interesting? To, I, I get the sponsorship ones. I get the ones that want to help their community. Uh, whether it's a organizational community or or a vertical or or whatever women or men or whatever their target audience is, um, but in terms of uh, any other examples of ones where there's a business model behind it where it's a win-win-win. Well, yeah. So um, the places we're most successful uh, tend to be places that want to do research, and um, while there may be some revenue component oh. to it. That's not the preeminent concern that they've got. The preeminent concern they've got is, can we do something for their community uh, on the research side? And can we show evidence that we're actually, they're actually improving in their health? And so what we, we've had, a, we've had, a, we have a lot of MDs and MD PhDs on our staff yeah. and including people in the sports side. And so having these built up these relationships over 10 years is not something that people can easily replicate. And uh, I think that's been the secret sauce, the, the ability of our team to be so good at what they're doing with these people. Exactly. And there's no shortage of uh, other leagues that um, would be uh, good targets for it. It seems like your approach, I mean, you're, you've almost got 50,000 um, uh, healthcare providers that are uh, prescribing this. Are these usually general practitioners or? Uh... It's really all over the, the map. Um, it, it tend, like I said earlier, it tended to be more the functional medicine doctors. And I, I, I actually think that COVID was the tipping point for doctors. It must have. I think they, yeah. when, when they began to see the data about how unhealthy the population was, um, our, some of the inquiry we've been getting from very serious medical institutions who, who hear about us through one place or another right. um, has really gone up. And so I, I really believe that COVID was the tipping point for preventive health and um, we're not going back anytime soon. We're seeing a lot of new things coming our way because of it. I love that. You know, you know, here we are uh, 2023 and, um, you know, everyone's looking back on that time and so many industries have been reshaped and changed for the good. I mean, the fact that your partnerships are more interested in the data is just amazing because usually they're interested in e-commerce. And to me, it's like, what about the education? What about the engagement? What about how do you get them excited and involved? And, and then maybe they can buy some things. But I like that that's not the tip of the spear, so to speak. At least for us, it's not. I mean, I'm sure you'd love, the, I'm sure you'd love the revenue, but I think. Yeah, we, we, don't, we don't excel at uh, <laughs> writing checks to people to, for sponsorships. So that, that's not what we Oh, I didn't even mean it that way. That's just the opposite. <laughs> no, no, but I'm just saying it. Yeah. And aren't you like one of the only uh, supplement manufacturers that's collaborating with Mayo, or at least I know you were the first. That's for darn sure. Uh, you know, I, I believe we. I believe that. I mean, that is true. We're running clinical trials uh, with them in some very interesting areas. One of them is uh, treating, um, looking for ways to treat women nutritionally pre and post breast cancer uh, treatment. Yep. Um, so we're using a multi-omics approach in a clinical trial uh, with Mayo in that field. And then another 
uh, we just completed a trial on concussed athletes um, mm-hmm. looking for a solution to um, whether we can improve brain function in athletes that have concussion. And um, Mayo uh, brought in another group uh, that has a device called NeuroCatch that worked with us on that as well. And um, uh, they've, been, they've been great research partners. Oh, they're, they're phenomenal. I've worked with them a little bit before, but you know, the whole, um, what the other thing we saw coming out of COVID at Revive, which is health, beauty, wellness, AI analytics, you know, take a selfie, recommends all the different products. So all the retailers and the beauty brands and now adding into supplement brands are using it, you know, to engage and help people kind of filter their decision down. You can augment it with more scientific data that you have, but what, what we learned is health, beauty, and wellness have been coming together from a beauty perspective and health and wellness have been coming to a together and targeting beauty. So it's, 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 it's right. fascinating to see how it's all kind of coming together as people are just as concerned with what they put on their body versus in their body. And more importantly, vice versa, um, to uh, use a bad phrase, but the, um, I think that has taken the TAM, the total addressable market, the size of this thing to a completely new level, level where companies like yours are, you're creating, you're creating a category, number one, or, or rebooting old categories. And I don't know what you look at in terms of your target audience. That's the long question here and the size of the market. But what, what's your thought there, given what's happened over the last few years? Yeah, so it's funny. Um, when we were going public, we... We submitted a TAM slide to the underwriters <laughs> that was four and a half trillion dollars, which is basically at the time made it bigger than the oil market. They decided to cut us they, back to three. They always give it a billion. haircut. That's how they make their yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. They, cut us, well, they cut us all the way back to three hundred fifty billion. Oh my um, gosh! So um, here's what I would say: We look at the target audience in terms of of the the truly addressable market for for what we we think we do mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So, um. We want to continue to grow our physician channel. We think there's a lot of upside there, especially if I'm right about COVID being the tipping point. Um, we see partnerships as a huge opportunity, travel, athletics, um, devices, uh, recovery market. All these are areas where we, we are either thinking about or having conversations with companies that we want to work with. Um, and then I, I would say that we want to continue to um, – look for B2B opportunities. So we are talking to some companies about our devices. Mm-hmm. Um, we think the corporate wellness market, if done right, we've been studying it now for a year, laying out a plan for how to enter that market uh, correctly, um, working with venture studios uh, to do product market fits, et cetera. So that, those are things that we're, we're looking at uh, doing in the future. Um, we see tremendous sort of interest from hotels and spas and, uh, you know, the travel industry, all looking for ways to sort of get some sort of a jump on the wellness space. And that, that's what kind of, I was kidding, but in a way I wasn't that, you know, if you, you can count all sorts of stuff in this gi- gigantic TAM of four and a half trillion dollars, whether it's relevant or not, I'm not sure yet, but um, we think there's an awful lot of growth opportunities for us if we're patient. Exactly. You hit on something that most companies in your industry never talk about, which is the travel industry. So um, I was talking with the uh, CEO of one of the companies that manages all the stores and shops inside most of the airports, and they're seeing a shift to that as well. First of all, people want to use something to just give them a little data and say, here's all the products you might be interested in the store because they're stocking more and more, but they can't have them on the shelf, but people can recommend 
But, you know, usually they just have like airborne, which is like a little vitamin C thing or whatever, or, or emergency is a vitamin C one or, or gum, you know, like here's some things to keep you going versus how do you really stay healthy uh, on the road? And for someone who's on the road every week or two, it's, I can, I can see my health going up and down and up our weight. Right. Maybe it's just my weight. I don't know. And I see other people who travel with me or whatever, and they're always like working out. They're at the gym. They're very regimented. So I like the way you say, hey, we, we personalize it. And sometimes it doesn't include a workout plan. Sometimes it is just about diet and supplemental things. Yep. yep. I mean, that, that's the true meaning of personalization. And uh, maybe we could just spend a couple minutes on that. So your, uh, your AI technology, what, what does it do? So we, um, we start building, we built tremendous databases on supplementation and food and exercise. And then um, we, can, we machine learn off of our tests. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll start with, uh, you know, with, I'll use the microbiome test as an example. Um, and we continue to learn uh, more and more about um, what sort of products people can take because the more people we take into the test, the more we learn about gut health. Right. Um, and uh, and then we we it's it's it has allowed us to completely refocus the products we make um, for gut health. So, for instance, we learned an awful lot about prebiotics versus probiotics. Right. Um, we've learned that a lot of commercial product probiotics on the market don't do anything. They don't work. Um, <laughs> but I feel good taking we, them. <laughs> we actually, um, yeah. you know, we, we began to have questions about um, based on what we've learned about whether mm. uh, it might not be healthier to, um, to drink uh, organic grass fed milk versus some of the botanical milks. Um, I mean, there's just so much I think people don't really know, yep. but the products, you know, these various things get sold all the time without real knowledge. And that's what we're really using our AI platform to do. Give better information to consumers yep. and help us build better And you products. can sort out the misinformation versus the disinformation. You know, the disinformation, they're, they're not trying to be evil. They're just like, they just thought it was helping. By the, yeah. by the way, on personalization, so, you know, we've talked about things like your technology, we're recommending certain things, you know, very similar to Revive, what it does for all the, you know, retailers and brands and stuff. But I've, I see other companies, one or two have been on the program, um, that are actually making personalized supplements or beauty products or whatever, but let's stick with supplements. Do you, and you, you're basically shipping, you know, pre-manufactured ones. Do you see the personalization of what you take and I take? Um, is that going to be a big mass market? Because it seems very niche right now. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you the steps we're taking in that in that market. I think when people say they're making personalized products for you, mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit of a and I'm not going to comment on the beauty market because I don't no, know. It, OK, but I'm going to talk about supplements. In general. I things. think it's a little bit of a misnomer. Yeah. So we started off by saying, all right, look, 80 percent of the problems we, we're seeing in gut health are occurring in this particular area. And we want to focus our product portfolio on that. And there might be five different product recommendations based on that for different people. So there's an element of personalization to that. I agree. What we're really trying to do, though, is be able to figure out how we can manufacture on a personalized basis. And that is really hard. So the first thing we did, was we built this um, printing technology. Mm. So we're making a, and the first two products we launched are um, 
through a two-dimensional printer where we basically built these proprietary food-based inks that spray onto a, a little disc, and that disc is dissolves in water. And the first one we did was a children's vitamin, which is uh, going after the gummy market. So we're creating a much healthier product for children that dissolve in water so they can, you know, kids from four years old on up that don't want to swallow pills can now start dealing with it. And we can we hope we can really personalize those discs by the way we manufacture. We did another one in pre in the prebiotic space based on what we were learning in microbiome testing. So we think printing, two-dimensional printing is going to be our ticket to, to real personalization yeah, down the road. Yeah, I agree. I haven't, been, haven't been chairman of a 3D printing company once. Oh, yeah, I love the way it's it's morphing into med tech. Um, Paul, I really want to thank you for being on. I just I was wondering if you could leave us with maybe more of a personal reboot story. You, you have, like me, done so many things and so many companies and so many roles. I just would love some war stories here at the end maybe to – to uh, give our viewers some uh, some uh, insights. Yeah, I mean, I guess that on a personal basis, um, you know, I made a, I didn't just go from one company to another. I made a massive career change. So I, yeah. I was a partner at Goldman Sachs and ran one of their trading areas. And um, when I eventually um, moved on, the first thing I, I realized was that if I wasn't willing to humble myself, um, you know, I would, I would never succeed. And, you know, I've seen so many people that we've looked at when we decide whether we're going to hire somebody or not, mm -hmm. that is, that is not 25 years old, but it's been in business for 20 or 30 years, right? You oftentimes those people cannot learn new things or they're not willing. They always want to rely on what they learned on in the past. So, you know, I'd say the biggest reboot for me was humbling myself and trying to learn something new that not only was there a new topic, which is natural science, but then having to work with the and partner with the kind of people that knew anything about how, about manufacturing. And the, the level of hiring talent was so different than what I was used to. So I would say that that's been the biggest thing for me going forward. I love it. And it ties into what you do. I mean, you know, lifelong learning actually, I think, prolongs your life or your brain health anyway. And that's actually what your company's doing as well. It's your, some of your products are scientifically way ahead of the market. So it's going to be a, a fun story to watch you guys over, over the next, uh, I'll just say decade. Let's take the long view. But that's... Uh, um, <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I really enjoyed you uh, being on. Uh, you've been listening to... Excuse me. You've been listening to Paul Jacobson with the uh, Foreign Health Tech, and uh, this is Dean Tobias with the Reboot Chronicles. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you soon.